Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 795th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is encouraging and assisting aspiring permaculturists. We're talking with William Horvath about managing a permaculture farm. William is a geologist turned permaculture farmer and educator. He runs a small experimental permaculture site in Croatia, Southeast Europe, as well as his website, permacultureapprentice.com, where he helps aspiring permaculture farmers and homesteaders find, design, and develop their properties. Through his consulting and coaching work, William has assisted over a thousand people in starting their permaculture properties and implementing permaculture systems from backyard to broad scale. William lives with his wife and five-year-old son on a quarter acre farm on the outskirts of a small town and manages his seven acre rural permaculture site where he implements and tests the permaculture practices he teaches. Welcome to the show today, William. Are you ready to rock? Let's do it, Greg. All right. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I was born in Croatia, which is, as you said, like a it's a small country in southeastern Europe. And I grew up on a family farm. Um, oh. Yeah, it was in a village that was near the capital city of Zagreb. And I also had the grandparents that were that also had a farm in the countryside. So my brother and I would spend a lot of time there. So I grew up surrounded by nature and plants and animals. And because we were living self-reliant, we produced a lot of our meat and fruit and veggies. And Mm -hmm. I got to experience hard physical work on a farm early on as a free labor. Nice. Um, Yeah, that definitely shaped my expectations for later on. But... I spent a lot of my free time because I was growing up in early, late 80s and early 90s. Before the computers became mainstream, I got to experience that childhood where we spend all of our time outside playing and enjoying that kind of lifestyle. And at 
eight years old, I think my childhood would, was suddenly interrupted by war. So there was a Croatian war for independence, mm-hmm. which lasted for five years. And where we lived, like different parts of Croatia was, were differently impacted. So where we lived, we weren't that much exposed still. We were still, there were airstrikes and ground missiles and we were hiding in shelters. Wow. Um, yes, that was, I, I would say some six or seven years of my childhood. Um, but, and all bad things passed and so did the war. And um, after my school, I went to university to become a geologist because I wanted to uh, work outside in nature, but I didn't want it to be uh, agriculture where I had to work that hard. So I wanted to become an engineer which can work outside in nature. I finished my university and I became a geologist. And then I moved with my wife to Australia because she had family there. And I worked as a geologist for five years in the mining industry, which I eventually realized that was doing more harm for the planet that I wanted. So as a nature-loving person, it went against my uh, values and I then, after some soul searching, I decided to quit that job and do some odd jobs and pay for rent and groceries that way while I was exploring the ways to transition to a permaculture lifestyle because I was at that point I was researching permaculture and I came to realization that I want to apply what I was learning to a piece of land that I owned in Croatia and Basically, I used the opportunity that I was in Australia to go around the country and volunteer on organic and permaculture farms. And I worked on a market garden farm and I visited Jeff Lawton's farm and I stayed with David Holmgren, who basically changed the trajectory of my life. And wow. it was, yeah, it was at that time that I started my website and documenting my journey and outlining everything that I was learning and I would say some six, seven years later, here I am on your podcast. And uh-huh. today I'm, I have my website and I'm working with people, teaching permaculture and working one-on-one, doing consulting and coaching and working outside, doing what I love. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So you discovered permaculture in Australia. I discovered it before, but it was maturing the idea of doing permaculture. It all came to a head in Australia, I would say, after the disillusion with my work as a geologist. And it was gradual. It wasn't like I discovered there. I discovered it before, but it became much more option for myself in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And who did you study with? I studied like I done my PDC with Jeff Lawton, but it was online. And it, it was during when I was staying with David Holmgren. Yeah, it was really interesting experience for me because I got to stay with the permaculture coordinator. I got to talk with him and got to see how it looks like firsthand to have a property that provides for all of your needs. It was really incredible. And then I thought to myself, why wouldn't I be able to do something like this? And it was a really interesting opportunity for a person to experience that. Yeah. At that point in his life. Yeah. Nice. 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 And when you discovered permaculture, did that shift anything for you in your life? Definitely. I, because I grew up on, on a farm, I had an understanding of how the 
agriculture works at that level. But I didn't discover permaculture until later when I was on my university and I actually had a health crisis. And at one point I started to get these squiggling lines and dots and flashes in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I got scared that I, I thought that I'm, I was going blind. So I went to doctors and the doctor said, you have eye floaters. And he said, it's something that you have to live with and it will get worse with time. And it really took me. And I remember after that doctor's appointment, I went straight to McDonald's and I liked my fast food and I was eating my Big Mac and I was asking myself, why me? Yeah. Not realizing that the thing that I was holding in my hand was causing my health troubles. So after that went, I, I, it, it turned, like I was, as a student, I was living really unhealthy, under stress, smoking, drinking a lot of coffee, not eating properly, eating fast food. So it all culminated in that point. And then I went on to, on to different journey where I was exploring how to be more healthy and mm-hmm. what the connection is between eating healthy and being healthy. And I said, I think at that point, I discovered permaculture and, and it led me on how to, on that journey of understanding more about how our food is grown and in what ways and how the healthy food is grown. And I would say at that point, if I had to pinpoint when it happened, that was like a watershed moment for me. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed over the years that they have a health crisis and it brings them to a healthier way of eating, a healthier way of living in permaculture. Yes. And then you see that one video or one article, whatever, and down the rabbit hole you go and, it, and it's, it, it, it's <laughs> right? never the same again. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you've, you've come a long way since you started to learn permaculture. And one of the things you're passionate about is teaching people how to do this for themselves. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you got to that place? When I was working as a geologist, I um, eventually got disillusioned with the role. And like there were several events that made me pursue like a more sustainable lifestyle. And one of those events was definitely when, uh, because I was working for a mining company and it was like a small mining company Mm -hmm. and uh, we were planning to execute a a gold and silver mine. And we were planning to dig up and create tailing dams and everything. There was one point where at our site, the, the whole management of the company came in because they wanted to present the project to local community. Uh-huh. And so they came that night and we had dinner and they brought some expensive wine and they were drinking around the table. And as our tongues got loose, they were starting saying some, I would say unethical, unmoral things, making jokes about ecologists who always find some species that need protection or making jokes about the native people who were looking for artifacts or making jokes about endangered species. And it was really at that moment, that night when I was thinking to myself, I really don't want to be associated with these type of people. I was imagining what the geologist would mean from other side. It was the reality of doing this kind of stuff. While I I decided I'll, I'll just take a break and do something else. And when I was exploring what to do, I I realized that I have this talent of researching and then distilling in that information Mm. and writing. So 
it came natural to me. And that's when I, I did had at one point an idea that I could start a website because that would give me then I always need a good justification for doing something. And like writing and teaching was a justification for putting more effort into researching permaculture. And then that led me to starting my website. And over, over the years, I think that I addressed a few critical topics in the right way, which attracted people. And then it got me to the situation where I'm today to be able to work with so many people from Croatia and all around uh, the world, all around the world, addressing some key issues that, that people have. I'm very interested into what are people struggling with so I can address that. Mm -hmm. And basically we do, with the website, I'm solving my own problems and my own problems were always like overwhelmed with so much information. Like maybe in the beginning, there wasn't that much information, but today there is so much. Then another problem is that, you know, people have high expectations because they see others doing, and then they want to do themselves. And then the third is always resources, resources in a sense of not having enough time, not having the skills, not having, not having money to execute. So I always attack these issues from the most practical perspective that I can. And that's the, always been the core focus of my work with everything that I'm doing for my website. Yeah. Yeah. So you're working with people around the world. What kind of challenges are there for permaculture gardeners and farmers? The biggest is they don't know where to start. That's mm. the biggest one. No, yeah. I just discovered permaculture and it's basically overwhelming with, because permaculture is this ambiguous field where we have all these different, I would say you could have all these different careers in permaculture. You could be a geologist, you could be a horticulturalist, you could be you know, agriculturist you know, growing plants. You need to all these different skills. So it's overwhelming to understand them yourself. So the first is, so where do I start with my property given that I don't have all these skills and how do I implement whatever my dreams is? And people are sometimes in most cases that they are not even clear on what they want to achieve. So it's always comes down to that permaculture process of clarifying what you want and assessing your site, what is you, to understand your context and then creating a plan and, and executing that plan. But the biggest issue is always, where do I start with all this? I'm overwhelmed. Where do I start? I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. And you call this your Trident framework. Can you explain what that is? Okay. In order to deal with challenges, I created a framework in order to overcome this, where do I start and how do I execute? How do I practically do mm -hmm. things on the side? I like to, because I'm an engineer, I always like to break down things. So if you have a property and you want to do it on your property, the first thing in my mind is to break down all the property systems you have going. So a garden would be one system. Food forest would be a one system. Your nursery would be one system. And then once you have all those different components, they are all interconnected in permaculture, but from a management perspective, they're all separate. And then you want to, once you have all those systems, then you can manage each system and the projects that have using the Trident framework that I have developed. It's framework is basically what, when, and how, what is what you need to do and your roadmap, your plan. 
when is of course when you need to do it and, and how is how you execute what you're doing so i'm a new person getting into permaculture and i come to you say i have four acres how does this process work and how do we work together okay the first thing i would always ask somebody is so what are your goals um what do you want to achieve um based on that we would uh, depending on what that person wants to grow for example if it is a food forest then for a food forest, it can be a garden, it can be food forest, it can be pastures, it can be agroforestry. So the idea is always to have a roadmap first. So the roadmap means, so what you need to do. Basically, it comes down to a plan with phases and steps. So for a food forest, it would be basically so a roadmap for establishing a food forest. And you can think about it as workflows. I like to think about it as workflows. To establish a food forest, you would need to go through certain steps. The first step is always you have to design a food forest and design entails deciding what plants to grow and in what layout. It would be some site preparation works. So clearing the land, doing soil testing, and then it will be some initial soil works, doing earthworks and following that soil conditioning and then planting and after planting works mulching and stuff like that so that would be your workflow it doesn't like what i did before i developed all these workflows workflows and i did develop them because of my mistakes and mm -hmm. the need that i had i had them i would just go straight to the step four planting the tree without thinking where the tree fits in my food forest where the other trees are and what type of trees and does it need some water harvesting? And I have one tree on my property that serves that purpose to remind me that. I call it the control tree. And that control tree is growing much, much, much slower than other trees that I made the effort to, to do thinking first uh -huh. and then preparing, preparing some soil and doing some earthworks and then properly planting. The big, the, 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 the thing is that you need that big picture plan first in order so you don't skip the steps to execute correctly so that's the first initial would be to create that roadmap for someone if they're starting with the food forest like each roadmap is very site context specific so it could it would look like different for you in your climate uh -huh. with what you are trying to achieve to someone in in an arid climate so yeah so you can work with me on the from the perspective of helping me figure it out myself. And you have some courses. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Or you can do the design for people as well. Do you do designs for people? Yeah. Like the initial step that I always recommend for anyone is doing the design first. Initial agriculture that we had was very labor intensive. Mm -hmm. The industrial... In agriculture that we have now is very energy intensive and yes. the permaculture design systems are very design and thinking intensive everything in permaculture whatever you're doing even if you have a small backyard starts with the design and the design always starts with okay so what are my goals what do i want to achieve what is the intersection between what i want to achieve and what the site will allow me to do and then basically on that creating a plan that's the initial step. And I work with people to create that initial plan. And once, and that plan doesn't have to be detailed. People usually get stuck at that initial phase of creating that design because they think it needs to be 
in so many details. It doesn't have to be. It just has to be like your main things has to be placed in correct spot. You know where your garden is going to be, where your roads are going to like your access ways, where your water structures are going to be. And then you have different areas where you you know where your garden is going to be, and then you start working on the site instead of overthinking. Well, what I've told people for years is that you need to spend at least a year on a property before you make any major changes. And it sounds Absolutely. to me like that's what you're working through with people. Absolutely. Like people would come in different situations. They would be on properties even 20 years or even more and they are stuck. But what I found the most challenging for people is that they don't know that they have to go through the process of getting clear on their goals. Because in their mind, it's, I want all these things because I saw all these things and they're great, but it all depends on your local on your context, like what do you yeah. want? Why do you want? It? Like the first layer is why do you want it? And then how do you want that to look like? And then from that, teasing out your design goals. But the next most important and the hardest thing for people is doing the site assessment. Because the site assessment is where you have to put all these different hats. You you would need to understand your soil. You would need to understand your bedrock. You would need to understand the weather patterns, you need to understand what the vegetation, where the wildlife is coming from, what wildlife. So you have all these. And that, in my work, what I mostly do, I take all this knowledge out there and, and I distill it into frameworks. And the framework can be then put into a simple spreadsheet saying, you look at this, you need this information about the climate. You need your wind direction so you can plan your wind breaks. You need information about you know, different microclimates on our site so you can plan to plant water-lying plants in wetland area. It's very specific in terms of the information you need to collect and then based on that, creating a design. And even design can be put into simple instructions in terms of what you need to put where. Yeah, Best practices. So, so when you're talking about doing a design for people, you're talking about First and foremost, doing a site assessment. And if I hear you correctly, yes. you're saying a site assessment looks at what is on the property. Yes, yes, definitely. I do this remotely with people. For example, if somebody is in the US, I instruct people on what information they need to get. So basically they get more because they are the person who can design their property the best because yeah. they are there. They need to take some time and you can't shortcut that one year that you're saying. Mm -hmm. You can't shortcut that. You can read the landscape and understand what the landscape is telling you. So in that sense, you can shortcut some things, but nothing beats that observation for one year. That is essential. That's always the first step, like yeah. creating a design, creating that plan. And then you can move to the practical. How do you do? Yeah. Yeah, when I moved here to our new property, four and a half acres right outside of Asheville, North Carolina, I didn't do a plan per se, but I've been doing permaculture for long enough that I, I know that what I need to do is be with the flow yes. of how the property works. Yes. Watch where does the water come in? Where are the utilities coming in? Where's the wind coming from? Just pay attention. And so what I encourage people to do the first year is observe and see how things flow on your property. Because if we would have put in our 
greenhouse and chicken coop a year ago, when we arrived, it would have been in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it's permaculture works so well. That's why permaculture is it's in tune with nature. You like you you can always force things. Like the worst thing you can take is you can do is take someone else's design and apply it to your property without consulting the site first. Right. Like the site will tell you what will work <laughs> and where to put it. So that's why permaculture is at least from my perspective. That's why I love permaculture so much because you're so much in tune with what's happening. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Awesome. So you do consulting and you have courses. Tell me about your courses. So basically when I started my website and one thing that is interesting is that I'm always solving my problems. I'm always solving my problems. If you would map the permaculture journey from I don't have land to I have this awesome property with food forests and gardens and everything, you could see that there are like three different phases. Uh, and the first phase would be finding the land. The second phase would be designing, as we talk now. And the third one would be developing that plan mm -hmm. into reality. Mm -hmm. Like the thing is that I'm, even though I'm living on a smaller urban property and I have my farm, that which is more remote, I always have that perspective of I'm looking for land. I'm always looking for new opportunities around here. So I'm always looking for land. So I have developed a framework for searching for land, which I then translated into a course, which helps people assess where to locate themselves in, on a regional level, on locality, and then on the property, on the, and then assessing the property itself. Mm -hmm. And then if you, when you have land, and if you're on a land, depending, regardless, it's an urban block or more like a broad acre, you always have to have that design perspective, permaculture design perspective. So I have a course on permaculture design. Yeah. And uh, you have a, per, a course on permaculture design. And is that practical? Take... Yeah. It's a practical, it's not like a permaculture design course. It's a practical applied permaculture designing for the property. So um, oh, nice. it's not like a PDC. It's, it's very, as I said, like, all my courses and what I do is very practical. Each of course gives you the tools, the resources to do things yourself. And then I finally have what I call a permaculture implementation program, which helps you implement two, two most important systems on permaculture property, gardens and food forests. And for that, I have, as we discussed in the beginning, the Trident framework, what, when, and how, giving ah. the tools to, to implement. So that's how I... So everything that I do falls into those three buckets. And for all those buckets, I have and content and tools and resources that help with each phase of permaculture journey. Very good. And what's your website so that people can find out more? It's permacultureapprentice.com. Yeah. If they go there, they can sign up. They can go get on my email list and then I'll be sending them information. Perfect. Yeah, I just signed up for your email this morning, so I'm looking forward to learning from it. Good, 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 good. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. I have a, a failure that's on my farm, and I get reminded about that failure basically every time I'm there. And <laughs> you'll understand why. I have a design for my property and it outlines everything that will happen 
So I, what I like to do is I like to walk my property and then visualize how everything will look like 20 years from now. Yeah. So I was at an area which was forested and a, fur, a bit further away from all the activity that was happening on the farm. But I have an vision for that property, for that p- part of the property that I'll have another house there and uh, greenhouses and, and gardens and everything. So I was so much into, I want to live that future now that I decided, you know what, I'm going to clear that this area and I'll start working on it straight away. And so I made a few calls and because I was so remote, there, there aren't that many people who can do the work and the, the ones that could, couldn't do it were booked months in advance. So I didn't think much of it. And that day I just went to bed. But the next day in the morning, that guy that I called, he called me back and said, you know what? We have a hole in our schedule and we can come today oh to do the gosh. job. Uh-oh. Yeah, my, my, bo- my boys are ready, basically. And I said, well, I was ambushed, but I said, okay. And I remember getting off the phone and thinking, is this the right thing to do? I wish at that point, I wish so much that I had a, a framework to, to see whether my decision was good or bad. But I said, yep. okay, I really want this. So let's do it. So they came and they did the job and the, the deal was they cut down the trees and it was basically an acre or so of the, the shrub and the trees. And I, I would do the rest. And I was happy with what they did. But after a few days, it dawned on me that I did put so much on my plate. Uh, I need to clear access way. I need to gather all the firewood. I need to pile up all the branches. And um, the biggest lesson learned was that, was that I let the sun in. So as soon as I let the sun in, I got regrowth. I got grasses. I got everything. And now it was full-on management mode. Instead of trees casting shade, I, I now need to do something with it every year. I need to mow it. I need to cut it back. So oh, yes. because I was so emotional and I wanted to live in that future, I wasn't rational and I made that decision. But the thing what I learned is I learned from my mistakes and I, in some sense, my mistakes make me a better person because now I have workflows for decision making. A set of questions that I ask myself before I make a decision. Is this urgent? Will this address my weakest link? What are the downsides and stuff like that? So I have now systems in place, so that doesn't happen. But I'm reminded every <laughs> time when I come to my farm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And what do you consider your biggest success? I would definitely say that being at this point of my entrepreneurial and permaculture journey where I get to work with like-minded people, I get people at scale and I can make a living out of it. So I'm very grateful that I'm a factor in the permaculture space and to be considered a guest for a podcast like yours. So yeah, I'm very happy that I can, that that my work is recognized and that I can contribute to permaculture movement in this space. So that makes me incredibly happy. Yeah. Excellent. And what drives you? Well, I can tell you that I think about this very often. And I would say that there are like three levels of my why, like the initial, the foundational level. If you think about it, there are three levels and it's like a pyramid. The foundational why is 
basically providing for my family. And uh, it's more like I have a five-year-old son and I want to provide him with the healthiest environment I possibly can. And I want to be a model for him, a good role model. And then the, that's a foundation. The second one would be building on that would be the freedom. I, I'm very motivated by, I don't know why, very motivated by wanting to be free, to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And yeah. for our family to be self-reliant and not having to oblige by social standards that we don't find appropriate in mm-hmm. my mind. And then the, the capstone on the pyramid would be my purpose. And I can't say that I got that nailed down, but I am incredibly fulfilled with exploring this beautiful planet and trying to understand how it works and uh, think about it and then conveying what I know to others making this place better for all of us in some way. Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? One of the most recommended ones that I often um, pitch to people is David Holmgren's Retro Suburbia. Oh, yes. It's a Bible in a sense for me because David is an intellectual giant and he has divided that book into three Categories like the built in the built field, mm-hmm. the living or growing field, and then the behavioral field. And there are so many gold nuggets in that. And I, I refer to it often. I didn't read the whole complete book, but I would just go and, and I would read some passage, some paragraph, some chapter, and it would be full of knowledge. And that's what I recommend to people because there are so many good ideas and, and recommendations in it. Yeah. yeah, we were lucky enough to get David on the podcast back in 2020 for three episodes. Wow, wow, yeah. wow, wow. You know, what I do when I get somebody like that. So David Holmgren is really the co-founder of Permaculture. Yes. He co-created it with Bill Mollison. And when I get somebody like that on the podcast, I just set the record button and just let him talk. Yes, yeah. Know, this is epic in itself and he did talk about that book back then so retro suburbia by david yes, definitely my top one recommendation yeah perfect and that's uh episode 516 517 and 518 on the urban farm podcast good oh i'll come back to that yeah yeah and what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners i would say and we touched on that on, on this podcast um make a plan for your property and if you're feeling overwhelmed or don't know where to start, make a plan for your property and then start taking action. Like st- stop living in your head and start small baby steps at your doorstep. Take action, get feedback from the site, learn and, you know, adapt and just do things. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the show today, William. Thank you, Greg. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Absolutely. And how can we get a hold of you? People can go to my website. It's permacultureapprentice.com. And they can search on me, search for Permaculture Apprentice on Facebook. So I'll be there as well. Perfect. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash permacultureapprentice. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. 
In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.